The Samosas were protected by a private army called the National Guard, which the United States created, paid, and armed. Samosa called them his boys, and they tortured almost as a sport. This is the Messiah volcano, which, as you can see, is very much alive. One of the delights of Samosa's boys was to drop his opponents from helicopters into the volcano. The official American attitude to Samosa was best summed up by President Roosevelt. That guy, he said, may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. Uh, the great Anton Karras. That, I always bring that up. I know you're getting annoyed with me saying that, but um, why not? Uh, and at the top was uh, the um, legendary uh, filmmaker, journalist, author, John Pilger. A, a clip from uh, his uh, really landmark film in 1984, which is called Nicaragua, A Nation's Right to Survive. And that's the thing today. Today is uh, July 19th. And um, this is the anniversary of the uh, Sandinista revolution, the 41 year anniversary. And, uh, you know, things have become very complicated there. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are opposite sides. Uh, you have ex-Sandinistas that um, are not happy and you have, a, you have uh, pro-Sandinistas that are happy with the situation. You know, we're gonna examine that. Uh, with uh, someone that um, I met way back in 1986 in Nicaragua, uh, Alejandro Bendaña, who is a, uh, an author, uh, he is an historian, he wrote uh, the great book on uh, Sandino, uh, called Sandino. And he's an ex-foreign minister, a deputy, uh, he's an uh, ex-UN uh, uh, deputy um, envoy. I mean, he's got like credits you can't believe. He's, and, and I credit him uh, with uh, really saving uh, Nicaragua from being invaded uh, a lot. I, I credit him a lot. Um, he played a big role, uh, him uh, back in the 80s as a spokesperson uh, on uh, US television. And uh, he was um, just brilliant. And he is brilliant. And um, I consider him uh, a friend. Uh, so Nicaragua. Nicaragua, I spent a lot of time there in the 80s. Uh, it's, it's Nicaragua in my heart. And um, you know, I, I played that little uh, piece um, from John Pilger's uh, film. I'm gonna play another segment to kind of set up this interview with uh, Dr. Bendania. Uh, this is uh, US hegemony in the region and Nicaragua. Here's a little clip uh, from that uh, documentary, that great documentary by the great journalist, John Pilger. For the people of Nicaragua, those like Lupita, the invasion of their country is imminent yet again. The following is a summary of United States intervention in its so-called backyard. 1898, President McKinley orders US troops to invade Cuba 1905, President Theodore Roosevelt orders the invasion of Honduras. 
1912, President Taft orders the invasion of Nicaragua. 1914-18, President Wilson invades Haiti, Cuba, and Panama. 1924-26, President Coolidge invades Nicaragua and Honduras. 1954, Eisenhower approves the overthrow of the elected government of Guatemala. 1961, Kennedy approves a CIA invasion of Cuba. 1965, Johnson invades the Dominican Republic. 1973, Nixon approves the overthrow of the elected government of Chile. 1981, President Reagan approves the CIA secret war against Nicaragua. 1983, President Reagan orders the invasion of Grenada. Their legacy is this remarkable United States military encirclement of the region, a vast ring of Americans on land, sea, and in the air, allowing a rapid deployment force to cover any eventuality, Grenada being the latest example. Since President Reagan came to power, this threat has been turned increasingly against Nicaragua. All right, so uh, pretty much sets it up there. Uh, another part of that film I want to show is um, the uh, catalyst for the rapid uh, uh, change in 79, uh, and that was the death of, of Bill Stewart uh, that, uh, that kind of uh, brought the U.S. Uh, it turned down the temperature a little bit and, uh, and uh, probably prevented uh, an invasion by uh, Jimmy Carter. This is from the same film uh, by John Pilcher, uh, Nicaragua, A Nation's Right to Survive. This was Nicaragua on June the 20th, 1979, a month before the fall of Somoza. The man you see on the ground is Bill Stewart, an American TV reporter. The man standing with a gun is an officer of Somoza's National Guard. Let him see the picture. Or the camera. Bill Stewart was an ordinary reporter doing his job. His murder on television shocked many Americans and helped to break an historical pattern for the first time, Washington found it very difficult to justify sending troops to intervene on behalf of their man, Somoza, whom President Carter only a few months earlier had personally congratulated on the improvement on human rights in Nicaragua. On the first anniversary of Bill Stewart's death, here at this street corner in a poor district, a monument was erected. And I, for one, find what it says most moving. In memory of Bill Stewart, he didn't die on foreign soil, and we keep his memory alive because he is part of free Nicaragua. Such is the generosity of spirit so often shown in this small country. All right, so, um, by the way, I'm Randy Credico, Randy Credico, uh, live on the fly, and this is a, a special, special edition on the uh, 41 year anniversary of the Sandinista Revolution. Um, Kelly Lane, the engineer and editor is down in North Carolina. I, you know, you're gonna see some interesting changes in this. I'm actually um, doing this after the interview uh, because uh, I'm way up in the mountains and sometimes the internet goes down and I have to use the phone, I have to go to a hotspot. Uh, so, as you can see, this is a uh, kind of a pinkish shirt, and you'll see a white shirt and a different tie, 
during this interview. Uh, but um, so I, I actually had to uh, do this on the day of the uh, anniversary where I taped Mr. Bendanya on the 18th for the 19th. All right, so look, without further ado, and I hate that cliche, but uh, we're going to go to um, a little break here. This is uh, the Godoy brothers, uh, and this is Nicaragua, Nicarita, and we'll be right back with my dear friend um, and uh, great, great, great guy, and that is uh, Alejandro Bendanya. <laughs> La flor más linda de mi querer Abonada con la bendita Nicaragüita Sangre de Viriángel Ay Nicaragua sos más dulcita Creciéndose Que la fielita de Tamagá Ay, Nicaragua, Nicaragüita, la flor más linda de mi querer, abonada con la bendita Nicaragüita, sangre de Didiante. Carlos Mejia Godoy, uh, Nicaragua, Nicarita, and that was uh, performed in Managua at the Concert for Peace in 1984. I wasn't there yet. I was there a year later. Uh, by the way, this is Randy Critical, Randy Critical Live on the Fly. And this is a special uh, July 19th, 41st anniversary of the Sandinista Revolution in Nicaragua special program. And uh, I, I am so pleased and so honored um, to be uh, joined by the esteemed um, Professor, Doctor, uh, ex uh, Ministerio de Exterior, uh, Deputy, and the person who I really believe saved it in the 80s for uh, Nicaragua because of his brilliant, uh, eloquent uh, advocacy uh, on American television, in particular Nightline. And that is uh, a hero of mine, uh, Dr. Alejandro Bendaña, who I have not seen in 31 years. Uh, welcome, Dr. Pendanya. No, thank you, Randy. It's it's good to good to see you again, and uh, for, and then thank you for the overly generous introduction. So, um, but um, I'm glad we can we can talk about Nicaragua. Yeah. Well, I must say that um, what I say is absolutely true about uh, you. I, I I sincerely believe that you. Um, your um, advocacy or your your um, your great ability to communicate uh, back in the 80s during the uh, Contra uh, war and Reagan was hellbent on destroying your country uh, but your um, battles with uh, Elliot Abrams you really made the case uh, for uh, your country and uh, so I, I really give you great credit couldn't have been done without you 
And uh, that's why I was so thrilled to meet you there when I took a whole bunch of comics there in 19, I think it was 1988. I took uh, about, I would say, maybe five comedians. And we did a tour of Nicaragua. We met with you. We met with Sofia Montenegro, uh, who was at Barracada at the time. We performed all over the country, uh, including Madagapa, Esteli, and in Managua, we finished it at Los Mercedes, across the street from uh, the airport. And you were there, and uh, along with Vanessa Vadim, who was the daughter of uh, Jane Fonda. And uh, that was some night. You got a great sense of humor. That's what separates you where did you get that sense of humor i mean you're a brilliant guy uh, and you're a serious guy but you still have this great sense of humor is that like a trademark uh, uh, in nicaragua that people are able to um, you know have a sense of humor or there it's in their dna well we get angry a lot but then we're laughing a short while afterwards and um it's uh, it's and and the joking, the bat and battering is 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 part of our very nature. Sometimes it's 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 in the face of so many absurd things going on, it was hard to keep a a straight face. But then um, it was critical to to enduring to enduring a war and um, not letting the pressure uh, of all sorts that we felt get to you. So humor is a, is a mechanism of, of defense. And, and watching the show in Washington was a, was a great sense, was a great source of humor. Yeah. Well, you know, I, my, my best audience back then, because, you know, I'm a political satirist impressionist, was uh, the... Um, the Sandalistas, they call them, in front of the U.S. Embassy. Every Thursday morning, I would get up there after drinking at places like Mau Mau, and um, I forgot the other place. It was a late-night place. I'll think of it in a minute. Uh, and I would go get up. i go to bed at 4 in the morning, get up at 6.30, and I would do my Reagan in front of the embassy in Managua. And that crowd was absolutely the best crowd I've ever had in my life. Uh, you know, they got all of my material, including my impression of General Singlot. Uh, so um, I want to go back, uh, I, before I go back to the early days of Nicaragua, there are many people like myself. And, you know, right now, you know, we're all ambivalent um, about our commitment and, and what has transpired over the last uh, 30 years since I last saw you, since the 10-year anniversary of Managua. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at, you know, at this position where, you know, I got people who support Ortega. Most of them are in the U.S. Uh, very few that I know down there that do. And it's like, I, I hate to be in the middle because I still love Nicaragua. I love the revolution. Uh, I'm disillusioned, of course. Uh, but, um, you know, that part of my life was, was, was really stuck with me and so what what was it about nicaragua that brought people like me people from australia people from uh denmark and and from south africa all over the world to converge like it was spain uh, in the 30s what did it what was it about it 
Uh, Spain, Spain's a good analogy. You know. And even though the, the Spanish Republicans lost the war, they did not lose it uh, morally. And I think it was part of our generation's own political formation, part and parcel uh, for the internationally. Of course, it was central to, to, to Nicaraguans, but there was one place in the 80s, which was a pretty dark period, particularly in Latin America, riddled with dictatorships, disappearances, and torture, in which something extraordinarily had happened. And that was just this one little country with, uh, with barely a ragtag army had told the United States to go shove it. And that you don't do, not least of all in our region. And we're going to try to do something new and not simply uh, get rid of a dictatorship, but build a new type of government and, and eventually transform society because that would be the, the very definition of, of the revolution. The, 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 the transformation that was made from 79 in, in healthcare and education and land reform were truly revolutionary um, and they haven't been reversed, I guess. I mean, there's still healthcare and there's still education, um, but um, that model, when you compare it to where El Salvador was under Duarte, uh, where uh, Guatemala was under uh, Rios Montt and uh, uh, in Honduras, under whoever the US put in there, usually the ambassador ran those countries, but uh, you take Nicaragua really did stand out uh, in these achievements. And I always felt safe there. And now it wasn't just because of the revolution that I made safe. I, I think it's kind of, there's something about that country where the people are basically peaceful. It, they are basically peaceful. I mean, particularly we're, we're coming out of a, out of a period of a pretty brutal war. The country is, is semi-destroyed and there's a, and there's a youth that feels triumphant in a, in, in a military sense, but also politically. It was an empowering act. The great challenge was how do we use that power in a way that does not become dictatorial, authoritarian, top-down, but that indeed transforms people collectively and therefore can be the driving energy behind what were big campaigns that you mentioned in education, health, housing, uh, land, etc. with the enormous help of the so-called uh, international community because for those few years, um, the early years of the revolution, we did have uh, global global backing, uh, with the big exception of of the of the U.S. So there was, those were the best years. What years? Oh, we're talking we're talking basically seventy nine to nineteen eighty three, uh, because after eighty three, the 
the, the secret war, the dirty war that the, that the administration waged uh, uh, was no longer so mm -hmm. secret. And it, it took a huge toll on the country. So that um, then it became a matter of survival. And under that type of pressure, uh, many of the aspirations began to fall short. And it was easier to, to, make, to make mistakes as you ran up of, against limitations of, of, of all sorts, exasperated by the war. At that time, it was easy to simply just blame the U.S., but you know, 30, 40 years later, we look at ourselves and we find that we just didn't get certain, thing, certain things right. So there were elements in the revolutionary DNA which were characteristic of the period of the ideology of the of of left revolutionary national liberation movements. That was the thing. Yet, retrospectively, um, there were some seeds of our own undoing uh, in that formula. I see. Well, I, I, I must say, um, uh, things have changed, uh, you know, and I want to talk about that, uh, the changes, but I, I wanted to go into the history of Nicaragua before I get into that, um, uh, Dr. Bendanya. I want to uh, really go uh, into the history of Nicaragua, what led to 1979, and um, going back to, like I said, to the revolution or the independence of 1821. Uh, and uh, all the way through the 19th century, William Walker was there, uh, one of those uh, filibusters, and uh, through, uh, you know, you know, the turn of the uh, 20th century. Uh, there's a lot of history there, and, and people should know it, because I believe that your country right now is, is a forgotten country. People don't know what an amazing, spectacular achievement that took place on uh, July 19th, 41 years ago. So I'm, I'm, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to take a quick break, guys. We're going to play a, a little bit of music here and come back, and then we're going to go back, and you can uh, trace us through uh, that history of Nicaragua. All right, so uh, here's a little bit of music. We'll be right back with uh, Professor, Dr. Historian, uh, one of the heroes uh, uh, of the uh, 70s, 80s in Nicaragua, and that is uh, Alejandro Bendaña. We'll be right back. Compadre guarda barranco, hermano de viento, de canto y de luz. Decime si en tus andanzas viste una chavala llamada Arlenciú. Yo vi de sensontre, amigo. Una estrella dulce en el cañaveral, saeta de mil colores, entre los rumores del pajonal. Entre el hueco de su guitarra, el lucero limpio de su corazón, se volvió arriba para la sabana, como un hilo de agua serenito, y se martillano que en la montaña, revolucionario todo es allí. Mariposa y su responsable es un colebrí. Y 
la clandestina una mariposa y su responsable es un colebí. Dr. Alejandro Bendaña. Um, I want to go back, as I said, to the early uh, uh, era of Nicaragua. I mean, I, I know that there were human beings there like 12,000 years uh, BC, I understand. And then, um, you know, the, it, was, it, was, um, uh, it was the Spanish, Spanish conquistadors, uh, under Columbus that actually landed there in 1502? Was that it? Uh, Columbus on, on his third voyage sort of coasted around the Caribbean shore of, of, of Central America and then came and there were expeditions. Um, but uh, the relevance of that is that the the landed system which they installed basically dispossessing the indigenous minorities no new story uh, across the world uh set up the basis for for an oligarchy uh which um with developments in spain in the early 19th century and the rumblings of liberalism sort of the napoleonic liberalism and, uh, and ideas from the Enlightenment, the oligarchy in Central America thought that that, that was way too revolutionary. So that's when they, that's when they began thinking of, of independence because uh, it, in order to try to keep their provincial ways and kick out the mainlanders that were sent by the king to to, to run the country, as opposed to those that were, uh, that were native, that were native born. Um, there's two, there's two features that mark the destiny of all of Central America until, until now. The first is that this was, this was a region from Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. Uh, Panama wasn't included yet because it was part of Colombia. And that was thought as one nation. The first historical tragedy is that they split that up. Arbitrarily, poor communications, cities and, and groupings went their own way, commercial versus landing interest. So we wind up with five hardly viable republics. So you're, you're in a period, of, a period of weakness. And the second tragedy is, particularly for Nicaragua, but it affected the rest of the region, was uh, that it was seen to be a site for a transatlantic canal, which in some eyes, particularly towards the end of the 19th century, uh, made it a Made, gave Nicaragua especially, because of there being a lake, as you know, in between the two oceans, a purported easier route for transatlantic 
Cardinals. That's it. I mean, remember, this is, uh, this, is the, this is the period of the California gold rush. So if you could cut across Central America, and the Vanderbilts and the others did set up a, uh, a shipping and stagecoach line, you could cut out months, practically, out of a long voyage around the Cape of Horn to get from New York, Philadelphia into the into California. But that meant that um, the U.S., along with its own Monroe Doctrine, um, had, what should we call it? I mean, a euphemism was, uh, and, and Trump still used the special relationship or our own, uh, our own privileged um, neighborhood, uh, the backyard approach. So that, uh, as Greg Grandin has, has argued, I mean, this was, this was the empire's workshop, Central America, even before, even, even before the U.S. Civil, Civil War. You know, you had troops of American, uh, we used to call them filibusters. Uh, uh, one of them, William Walker, even proclaimed himself uh, president of Nicaragua and, uh, and sought to join the Confederacy as a state. I mean, in the patriotic black and white history, uh, that's seen as a huge affront and, and eventually other Central Americans helped and, and kicked them out. But the truth is he was invited in by one of the factions. And this is a recurring truth that Nicaraguan politics has never been exclusively Nicaraguan. You know, it's, uh, the, US, the US embassy has played a forceful political role way and above its, its, uh, that of any other country in order to try to attain something that it is yet to attain um, or that it lost in 1979 with the revolution. And that is simply, simply to um, dictate what happens so the saying in Central America and in Nicaragua is if, if, if the U.S. Embassy and the U.S. doesn't like it, it ain't going to happen. And if you want something to happen, you better get the U.S. Ambassador on your side. So he was sort of the arbitrator of politics. And, uh, and among the feuding oligarchies, too, liberals and, and conservatives, uh, Presidents were were taken out, sometimes literally, and um, and all of this and and Nicaragua was li literally a, invaded five times a, by U.S. A, by U.S. soldiers, so that when the sixth time rolls around in the 1920s, this was not a new, a new phenomenon. Um, uh, and then something had to happen 
to break with that. It, it was, and the name of, and that's where the figure of Augusto Sandino comes in. And it's the birth of what would become the Sandinista movement. In 1912, U.S. Marines landed in Nicaragua to protect democracy, as they put it, and to hold elections. But people in Nicaragua didn't want a foreign army to organize their elections, and resistance began behind a leader who said, the issue is that the United States has no right to invade and humiliate a small country. His name was Augusto Sandino. He was a liberal and a nationalist, not a Marxist and the Americans made the mistake of dismissing him as a bandit. Central America, said U.S. Under Secretary of State Richard Olds, has always understood that governments which we recognize and support stay in power, while those we do not recognize and support fail. Major General Smedley Butler of the United States Marines later described his role with disarming frankness. I was a racketeer for capitalism, he said. I helped purify Nicaragua for international banking. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests. And I helped make Honduras right for American fruit companies. Sandino and what was called his mad little army rejected all that. On July the 16th, 1927, he attacked the U.S. Marines headquarters here at Ocotal in the north of Nicaragua. And that afternoon across these hills, came a formation of de Havilland biplanes bearing United States markings. The planes formed into a column and dived at the center of town. With machine guns blazing, they dropped their bombs at 300 feet, and that is now believed to be the first use of organized dive bombing in history, long before the German Luftwaffe was credited with the innovation at Guernica in Spain. There were hundreds of casualties, and Sandino learned a lesson. From then on, he became a master of guerrilla warfare, of attacking and melting away, tactics which were to be adopted around the world and to change much of the world over the next 50 years. By 1933, Sandino's mad little army had defeated the Marines, driving them from Nicaragua, a lesson of history apparently overlooked today. Sandino went to Managua for peace talks, where he was betrayed by America's man, Somoza, the head of the National Guard. In 1934, he was murdered. Sandino, it was extraordinary about him. He's not an intellectual. He's a worker, a, a, a small merchant in the, from, the, from the area of Masaya, which is about the 30 kilometers outside of outside of Managua, they, they never finished high school. And um, there was nothing really slated for grandness for him, lived in, in poverty most of his life, was, uh, was, was deemed in those, in those days to be an illegitimate son of a, well, of a wealthy landlord who had abused one of his female workers. But the point is that there, we're talking now 19, He's in his early, early 20s, 1923, 1924. He gets mixed up in a brawl. And like many Nicaraguans for economic and other reasons, he decides to emigrate. 
and he goes north. Um, and this is where his formation, and he went to, he winds up in, in Mexico, and he goes to Tampico in Mexico, which was the center of the oil production, um, accosted in the middle of the Mexican Revolution, uh, accosted by a U.S. Uh, uh, by the U.S. fleet and in protection of U.S. and British oil interests. But it's the place, perhaps in Latin America, perhaps with the exception of Buenos Aires, where you had the most radical working class movement. Um, and since you're talking 1920s, and this is, and, and we've forgotten this chapter in our history, you're not really talking about Bolshevism. The Russian Revolution was still something far off. People had, had heard about it or sympathized with it, but uh, the dominant influence among workers there was uh, anarcho-syndicalism. It was the Wobblies, for example. And this is where Sandino is educated, in, in the unions, in the town halls, pamphlets, uh, newspaper talks, visitors, uh, uh, the plays, social dramas, and you know, and he's uh, and he's uh, and he's taking it as uh, all in uh, before he goes, decides to go back to Nicaragua, and because the Marines had returned. He says, I'm giving up this job and, and I head back. And he forms a group of men, this time farmers, all illiterate, almost all of them, in northwestern Nicaragua, and um, constitutes a armed group that first took place, so was fighting the conservatives that were supported by the US, the intermediary US, person was Henry S. Stimson, who would later be Secretary of War in a big shot, and, um, and a deal he had brokered among the oligarchy as the U.S. Uh, was accustomed to doing uh, when the feuding broke out in Manawa, and in the meantime, they took over the customs and, and railroads and made sure that the, that the bankers got paid, U.S. bankers. Um, so Sandino rebels against this model, which is one represented by the presence of U.S. soldiers in Nicaragua. And secondly, the, the dominance of, of, of the U.S. and capitalist uh, uh, bondage and, and his idea, like a good anarcho-syndicalist, was he wanted cooperatives. You know, he doesn't like property, uh, private property. We don't, it's, uh, that's, that's usually not remembered because, in a, well, to jump just a second ahead, in the 70s, we invoked Sandino, but we take of Sandino what we needed 
at that time was the figure of a military hero, the small, of a small band of, of men and women. We've, we now discover there were a lot of women there and um, rebelling against the, uh, the unseen, the unseemingly beatable, unbeatable odds. But Sandino was more than that. Without being an intellectual or a philosopher, he gathered uh, his group and he brought, and he managed to get men from all over, from um, South America. And, um, and he becomes, in 1927, within a, within a period of, he becomes a folk hero in the United States. And not simply among the left wing, uh, the Communist Party or the Socialist Party, but in the in the U.S. Congress, you know, you can still look up the speeches, saying, hey, "What are the Marines doing there? Who is this guy Sandino? Why don't you just leave the country alone? And if you want to go fight bandits, because they call them all bandits, why don't you take the Marines to Chicago? Because there's plenty to do there." Um, and when the U.S. brokers that deal in May 1927, um, the military chieftains say, okay, we'll go along it and just give me my retirement part. And Sandino stands up and says, no, I ain't signing. This takes his men and decides to continue a war, but this time, a frontally directed against the presence of the U.S., which and his and his interpretation of of, of what was a, a pernicious uh, culture, racism, and just the savagery which uh, which was used in the 1920s. Remember, this is the period of lynchings in the U.S. and Oklahoma and elsewhere, so it got it got pretty bloody. But his his is a small band of groups, and you know his is the hit and run. One of the first displays of of twentieth century a guerrilla. So and and that made him a hero again in all of Latin America because all of Latin America was saying a. Are we just going to let the United States trample over us? Won't anyone stand up to this, to to this mighty uh, giant, to the to the Uncle Sam, to the ogre, um, where every government seemed to bend bend to his will? But people, and especially the labor movement, which is coming into being, uh, and students, uh, particularly in Mexico and elsewhere. Um, by now, you've got telegraph, telegraphic um, newspapers. The news spreads. It's glorified a bit. And um, the world learns that, uh, that Marines are, are on the run, finally, in Latin America, in Nicaragua, chased by, this, uh, by Sandino and, and his group of men. And this went on for six years, from 1927 to early 19, uh, to, to 19, through, through 1933. 
and um, uh, and this same. Uh, in the meantime, the U.S. is still fighting. There's pressure in the Congress and elsewhere to get the Marines out, as you as you mentioned. There's a none of them. They thought it was an affront that this little guy could keep the mighty U.S. Marines at bay. Uh, but what happens was that uh, opinions started turning, and then um, when by the, when Roosevelt assumes in 1932, um, he's just determined to, to get out of Nicaragua and, uh, and cut a deal. And that's when the war uh, begins, begins to end. And Sandino is more of a hero than in Nicaragua, though always distrusted by the oligarchy because he was not one of them. He did not think like one of them. He's, he's a leftist. He's a radical. He's anti-imperialist. And he believes that, uh, that, that his, his cause is Latin American. It's unitarian. It's not a local rebellion. And, um, and he has a, he's in correspondence with people uh, and leaders uh, all over the world in uh, insisting the, in the internationalist dimension of his work, and um, he even has relations with the with the early uh, the early communist international, but but also with people like uh, like uh, like Emma Goldman, and um, those are his ideological chums. But he's smart enough to know that he is ideologically way ahead of the rest of Nicaragua, which is still parochial, conservative, Catholic, ultra-Catholic, and that he's going to, that to change the politics was going to, was going to take a lot of work. How to transform his military movement into a political movement. And um, that's where he didn't make it. He would have wanted the support of, of, of the students, for example, but the students were sort of there. They weren't there. He's isolated in the North. And um, so he's, he's competing not only against the U.S. and the U.S. allies, he's competing also against the formal left-wing movement because uh, at one point when, when when Sandino says national liberation must precede social liberation, the communist movement, uh, Moscow, breaks with him and denounces him. So he's under the attack um, by, by the left as well and isolated. But ironically, that thesis of the national before the social, he believes in the social, was going to be the essence of of the national liberation war, uh, which, in, which is inaugurated by just a few years down the line by uh, in Africa, but also stellarly in, in, in Cuba. And well, even during, the, even during the Second World War, the Soviet Union, Stalin invokes, makes it the great patriotic war against Nazism. 
And these are things that, that Sandino thought were of common sense, but you could not simply, you know, transform this, the little army into the communist party of Nicaragua and install the, the, the dictatorship of the proletariat. He was, he, he was too smart for that. You know, um, I just want to throw this in and continue, but it reminds me a lot of um, public in 1849 uh, with Mazzini. Uh, the nationalism that came first, uh, you know, to try to reunite to the entire Risorgimento uh, movement, but they did set it up. And I'm wondering if he was influenced. Uh, continue what you were saying and maybe give that some thought. Well, it's a, he's, the early 20s is a really interesting period. And he's in Mexico most of the time. You know, you've got great figures on the left that are protected by the Mexican government, revolutionary government at that time. Later, the government turns. But you know, you had people like, like you know, from Bertram Wolf to, to uh, numerous uh, uh, intellectuals, uh, uh, Frida Kahlo, Tony Modetti, and there, that's, that's the atmosphere. And it's firmly international. Aya de la Torre from Peru, who was to be the founder of opera, uh, is there. And the Mexican Revolution, Sandino always said, we're the, we, are the, we are the daughters of the Mexican Revolution. He wanted something like Mexico, which was one, anti-clerical, more than anti-religious, anti-clerical, because the priests seemed to be, Run it, run everything. It was firmly committed to to lay politics and 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 atheism, and especially to land redistribution. Those are the great hallmarks and and protection of one of the most. He saw the enactment of the most advanced labor code and constitution the Americas had seen in 1917. But he's linking up with with uh, with U.S. mentors, and they did so as part of international campaign. The first great international leftist campaign was, was Sacco and Vanzetti. Um, that went global. I mean, it's chiefly dominated by the communist movement, but every any worker everywhere had heard of these two and was campaigning for freedom uh, for for them, and Sandino was part of that. Um, shortly afterwards, there's a decision and a swell to organize a huge solidarity movement with Sandino that was internationalist. And some of the people that were with them, like, like Farabundo Martí uh, from El Salvador, fought with him and later goes on to do his own thing in El Salvador. Venezuelans, founders of the of the of the of the Communist Party, Haitians that were that became famous later on, scores of 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 Mexicans. Um, so there's this internationalism that is there, and and it's more than simply simple anti-Americanism. 
he recognizes the figure of imperialism. And he's able to see that what's, what he's up against is not simply the Marines, but a system of banking and bondage and, and debt and remote control and, and ideological cultural influence, which he said, in his words, ran against the nature of the Latin American peoples. That's pretty much the thinking in Latin America. The term, for example, uh, la, la raza, which you hear in the Southwest United States, is born in that time. We, and, it, and it's just, can only, and it can be summarized in one phrase. We are not you, we are not the United States. We are a Latin people, we are a brown people. Brown people lives matter. You cannot go around, they tell you, pissing off people around the world. Um, we have our own culture, we have our own identity, and, uh, and we are proud of who, of who we are, and we don't need uh, this, this sort of dependence. Of course, there's always segments of the oligarchy that were more pro-American than the, than the U.S. itself, but there were the young uh, nationalists um, that weren't. Some of those nationalists, it has to be said, turned to fascism. Uh, and uh, because they also saw, uh, they, they looked and there were some sympathizers of Mussolini. They sort of went the route of, of Ezra Pound, for example. But, uh, um, but some stayed, stayed uh, on the left. So it's a nationalism that is internationalist at the same time. And that's what gave it its appeal. So Sandino, as, as people know, uh, or might not know, well, he was, he was betrayed. He's trying to arrange a deal with the then president of Nicaragua to make sure that the Marines left. The Marines did go. They, and, uh, and he wants to set up cooperatives in the north, and he wants to, he wants his men to to run them. He's he's got an ethical, mystical dimension that uh, he thought it was a superior form of working and living together, and uh, he be, talks about the equal equal allowances for women and um, no privileges and no vagabonds and no priests. By the way. Uh, and this was just, a, it was simply too much. And for the U.S. Embassy, it, it, it represented the threat of insurgency because the Sandino, all he had to do was whistle and he would have had thousands of people by his side uh, once again. Uh, but um, uh, a plot is devised to invite him to Manawa to sign a document and uh, He's captured, and then um, uh, and um, along with the four others, he's uh, he's uh, he dies. Uh, he's assassinated in, in a firing squad, and two days later, they sweep down on his on his on his camp, which by this time was becoming an agricultural cooperative, because that land is is, is rich. Uh, they were already semi-disarmed, and they were wiped out by that new feature 
in Nicaraguan politics, which was to become, which is inaugurated just about this time, 1934, with the death of Sandino, which is the Nicaraguan National Guard. The US Marines just don't leave. They leave behind a, a relatively sophisticated army, brutal in its nature, that continued the war against Sandino's followers, and that was headed by a fellow that, was, that gained the absolute trust and goodwill of the American ambassador. And his name was Anastasio Somoza. And this is uh, the famous SOB that, um, uh, that, uh, that Franklin Roosevelt uh, referred to, which and then the Somoza overturned, overthrows the civilian president, uh, takes control of a, of a liberal party and gets himself elected and reelected He's assassinated, but immediately his eldest son takes over. And after his eldest son dies of natural causes, uh, short interim, his third, his third son, uh, is this, is, is another brother, takes over. So you begin to see a pattern in Nicaraguan history, which people now talk about as trying to be repeated nowadays. One, a family dynasty. When, for example, Daniel Ortega designates his wife as vice president, we're jumping ahead a bit, and, and sets up his sons in, in government and daughters in government and business posts, it's with a view to perpetuating a, a dynastic form of government. Now, whether he could get away with it or not is, is another argument, but Nicaraguans recognize, hey, wait a minute, we're not going for this before, and to be sustained on the back of a, of a security force, and ironically, with the backing of the United States, because it cannot happen without the United States. So that- um, This could not happen right now. Uh, the dynasty has been set up. Uh, uh, some people will say that the United States would like to get rid of Ortega and uh, install somebody else. Um, and that's what, you know, you, you get you get those, you know. I, I don't know. It, you know, you have, although the, the, the response to the protesters has really been heavy handed, but not covered here uh, very much. Like in Hong Kong, that's covered. Uh, the response to the protesters, like at UCA, uh, was not covered in the press here. Well, that, that's a, that is, it's an issue, Randy. It, it, despite the presence, even in the, even in, in the UCA and elsewhere of, of reporters, eventually the images, and in this day and age, you know, anybody with, with, a, with a phone camera can, could get those uh, up line, did get out. But the larger political point is, and this is often just not referred to, um, okay, recap. The Nicaraguan Revolution begins in 1979 and ends in 1990. Let there be no mistake about that. To speak of a revolutionary Nicaragua after 1990 is to miss the boat. 
and even to speak of the revolution in 1979 is to ignore it as a process which had a which had a beginning uh, a middle and in some ways uh continues but it's not that it coincides with the 79-1990 when the elections take place that's followed by seven by 17 years um, of new right-wing regimes new electoral regimes the u.s said man didn't manage uh, the combination of u.s mil military pressure and considerable mistakes from our own Sandinista side made that that the elections of 1990 um, uh, were lost by by the FSLN, by the Sandinista Party. So two things happened: the oligarchy comes back for 17 years. But secondly, it's the end of the Sandinista movement as it had survived. Because so wait a second, you're telling me on sync on uh, I think it was January 25th, 1990, uh, that was the end uh, when they when Uno, which was on the ballot, their victory spelled that was the date that that the Sandinista revolution effectively came to an end. I will argue that. I mean, it's I think I think you know ethically things happened in which the Sandinistas committed suicide. Uh, they, in the last few months, they, there's a mass distribution of goods, corruption breaks, breaks out. But more than that, there's a, there's, there's a reckoning because some features of how the war had been conducted, of how the economy had been conducted. Remember, the highest inflation rate ever, maybe now surpassed by Venezuela. Um, and people put, footed the bill for that and uh, turned it into a vote against the Sandinistas. But uh, what remained of progressive politics uh, pretty much came to an end and not simply as a product of an election. I'm not sure had we won that election, uh, a, a fundamental course correction could have been achieved because by that time, by 1987-88, uh, Daniel Ortega has managed to get control of the party. So it's not like in El Salvador where you do have a party and you do have factions and you do have debates, you do have congresses, you have central committees and you thrash out internal positions. No, Ortega went as a president, defeated presidential candidate, went on to build his own party using the same FSLN letters, then build a machinery that's, that set aside um, the older contemporary figures and just concentrated with one sole aim, get back to power, and and promise anything to anybody at any price and uh, he steadfastly went um, went after that and cut a cities of uh, a series of horrendous deals with the church uh, outlawing 
for example, all forms of abortion. And one of the few countries in, in Latin America to, to do so, uh, cutting a deal with the business elite to allow them to make money uh, hand over foot as long as they did not let get involved in, in, in politics and with the United States. And that episode is less known because what he, he gives the United States what it, what, it so, what it says it wants in Nicaragua, stability. Of course, a pro-U.S. stability. And, uh, and that means a good relations between the Nicaraguan army and, and the Pentagon. It means collaboration uh, with the, in the drug war. It means a free trade uh, agreement called CAFTA, which is disadvent, which is essentially new. And the neoliberalization and privatization of the economy. So, you know, even though the U.S. at that time would grumble because all that was left was, was Ortega's left-wing rhetoric, but his politics were right. So, um, so there was no real break uh, other than rhetorical with the U.S. until, until April 2018 where he just lost it. U.S. breaks with Ortega the moment Ortega can no longer deliver stability. And he can no longer deliver stability once the student and then popular and youth uprising uh, takes place in April 2018. At that point, uh, this coincidence extraordinary, the Nicaraguan people, um, decides in huge demonstrations, and especially after the killings that, that Ortega and his wife and family have to leave politics and a new government is required because he had managed to get himself reelected illegally maneuvering with, with very low turnouts. And, um, and the US hedges its bets and say, um, Ortega can't deliver, I think we should begin to push him out. Uh, it was sort of like Somoza in the last days too. Uh, they're, they're trying to nudge him out because otherwise you might have radical movements take place. And this is, this is where we are um, just now um, with, the, with the huge public opinion that is against Ortega and the continuation and but which recognizes has been the course throughout our history that you need a combination of national and international pressure to get to force the change in Nicaragua one without the other won't work well let and, me ask you this you know I, I see what happened to Mar in uh, Bolivia, uh, I get nervous when I when I see international support, and that means European Union uh, coming out uh, or the UK coming out uh, in support of, um, of but calling uh, the ouster of a certain uh, government. 
uh, I, I don't trust them. I don't certainly don't trust Pompeo. He certainly does not have the Nicaraguan people in his country. Uh, and, you know, another point is, because it's very confusing, I must tell you, you know, I still have that hope and dream of the Nicaragua that I saw when I was there in the 80s. And, uh, but I went in 2009 for the 30 year anniversary, not specifically for that, but I have a lot of friends of mine who were in government, uh, you know some of them, and uh, they were grumbling back then, they were not happy uh, with Ortega back then. Uh, one of the people that was, Caterpillar. He says, we're doing pretty well uh, down here. So he wasn't uh, displeased with him. Uh, you know, I look at it and I say, my God, uh, wh wh why is he, why does he, in these elections, maybe low turnouts, they're higher than U.S. turnouts, uh, do so well in those elections? I mean, I was in Ometepe. I went to Rivas. He does have a base of support. Uh, Ortega, uh, and I think because of the deal that he cut with Obando y Bravo, but also that they do have a, a certain level of education that you don't see in Honduras or uh, Guatemala um, or um, uh, El Salvador, uh, and, and a certain uh, free uh, medical, uh, uh, you know, there's medics and there's free healthcare there. Uh, but um, obviously the country's is, is poor and people uh, can barely make, uh, you know, su um, subsistent wages to live. There's high unemployment. Um, how, did, how, how is he able to mobilize those that go and vote for him in these elections? Is it because that the opposition, and there's a lot of parties down there, haven't uh, come up that would turn on, uh, you know, the average, Nicaraguan uh, worker in a maquiladora plant. What is it that he has been able to do that the opposition hasn't been able to do uh, capitalize on the uh, disgruntled electorate there? Remember, you have to separate by, by, by 2011-12, it's, it's so clear that you know, Ortega is one thing and what remained of the revolution was the other because he had done a 180 degree flip-flop in terms of uh, economic policies and, uh, and many of the gains, including education and health, uh, were simply, simply collapsed. There's a reconcentration of land and he, and his cohorts benefit from this. So, um, so what survives is, is, is little. What does survive, and here's, this is the problem you're getting at, are the symbols. The, the red and black flag, the FSLN, the image of Sandino himself uh, standing up to the big bad Yankee and he's trying to appropriate all of this, monopolize it. At the same time, he's carrying out right-wing policies. And um, this meant that any left progressive justice-oriented uh, segment of the population, many of them coming from the Sandinista party itself or the ex 
or they're, 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 by this time, at least the daughters and, and sons, uh, remember a, a, more than half of the population Nicaragua wasn't born 40 years ago. So to them, it's, it's an obscure, it's an obscure reference. They, they don't have this emotional turmoil that you and I, you know, especially when you saw some of the best people, very, very admirable, mystical, disciplined, um, self, selfless, and um, they were killed. One of my theses is that they killed off the best people during the war, so that what, what he inherited was a second tier of quality in the leadership that was prone to mistakes and that was, uh, and was not so, that could have, could have been more transparent to say the least. But there's a turning point here. There were rebellions small against Ortega and the opposition was a traditional opposition. Um, and they, but they, they, couldn't, they couldn't gather crowds. What happens are two things are the, are the, are the civilian demonstrations that followed the political order to open fire on unarmed students on April 17th and 18th, 2018. That was a turning point. I mean, I'll be honest, Randy, I, did, I never expected that of Ortega, even though I had broken with him years before, that he would actually, um, I know we knew he was a fix to power and he was going to find a way to try to stay there. But to go over and massacre students and then continue selectively to, to kill and to persecute them, well, that was just beyond any boundaries. That just puts him outside as a, so that he lost many, if not most of his followers on that day. They said, well, hey, 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 this, this is not, this is not, uh, this is not acceptable. Of course, there will be a core, uh, the whole public administration, the state apparatus, uh, the military, the police, and people that depend on government. Well, if they, if they make, if they complain, they're fired. And if they're fired, they probably, they go hungry because there's no jobs around. So there is a core and yes, there is a, a more fanatical group that says, you know, my leader, uh, right or wrong. And, um, and those, and they should not be underestimated either. Now, what's the percent, what, nobody can tell what, what their percentage would be, but in and of themselves, they would not be able to, they would not represent the majority. So then you get to the opposition. Well, what's the alternative? And, at the, and Ortega's tactic right now is try to split up the opposition into so many groups that none of them can pull together what happened in 1990, unite behind one candidate and people vote for that candidate uh, against Ortega. Whether you like the candidate or not, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that, um, that I would not put my hand in the fire for a, for a lot of the people that are in the opposition. But it's one of those moments in politics in which 
you know that he's banking on division and if and he's going to try to throw out some pseudo opposition candidates so that the opposition vote is divided and under the terms of the present constitution that he made um he doesn't even need he, he just needs a 30 plus percent of the vote in order to in order to win the election so unless the whole electoral framework is changed um and that's the main political battle and this this would look bad the elections are to are scheduled for november 1921 but that's the political aspect and then the moral and ethical aspect you know what what i understand many understand but the us and others don't is that they want they're willing to entertain that ortega actually not simply not leave nicaragua but actually allow be continued to allow to govern and even if he wanted to run for another term of office that i just uh, uh, yeah you can't you can't you can't live with that yeah uh, you know a couple of observations on that you talked about the melting of support amongst uh, uh, former allies you know I, I know a lot of people there because i was there from 85 to all the way until um uh you know uh, january uh, uh 1990. So I was there for like five and a half years going back and forth, raising money. I, I met a lot of people, yourself included. I even performed for Ortega and Thomas Porte uh, back then. And I, I know a lot of people that were in government. It's very difficult to find anyone that supports him right now that I know back then, I knew back then, that I, I speak to occasionally. Uh, that That is true. Uh, there are a few, Eden Pastora and uh, and Omar Cabezas uh, seems, and Bayardo RC are three that come into mind, but not uh, outside. Is it because of patronage uh, that, uh, that keeps them uh, in line with him or um, because they believe that he has an agenda that, uh, that's radical? No, neither, neither one. I think it's just power and holding on to power and uh, by being personally loyal to him and his wife and his family and their family assets and their way of doing business and to the alliances with the church with some of the well, with some elements in the church because the the bishops conference is, is is critical of him and the and with the business sector so it's a good it's a good living if you can uh, but that, but that is crumbling too. Nicaragua had one of the highest growth rates, and they were very proud of it. And investors were lining up, and WalMarts were being constructed, and all of that began to crumble in April when uh, Mr. Ortega could no longer ensure, as I said, stability, or uh, jobs were 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 on were on the line. This is not a charismatic figure. This is not Chavez. It's certainly not Fidel. Um, you know, and 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 his and, and his speeches are are unbearably bumbling, and um, he doesn't even bother to show up in public. Last time anyone saw him publicly was six weeks ago, and uh, have will never hold a press conference. So he's he's arrogant. He's aloof. 
and keeps the decision tight and lets his wife, uh, who is also, who he named vice president, uh, do that. So in another country, yeah, you're in a, you'd have a fight out, you'd have a convention, you'd have speeches, you'd have delegates, none of that. None of that happens here. It's all- Very difficult, uh, Alejandro, for a lot of people, uh, people that are uh, fans of this show, who some of them uh, probably wholeheartedly uh, support support uh, Ortega, some of them, uh, and then there are those um, who think that, uh, that the U.S. is uh, somehow the, uh, the, the uh, the, the, the big, big giant gorilla in the room or white elephant, whatever it is, uh, they're uh, lurking and uh, looking for a, um, a vacuum and to step in. There's always that fear. Does that, does that enter the back of your mind that the U.S. does have uh, the same kind of designs that they had in the early days of, uh, in, in, during the Reagan administration? Well, it's constantly in my mind because... Uh, we do know that the United States embassy is 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 up to its neck in Nicaraguan politics and and is trying to forge a, a, the unity among the broad opposition. It's trying to make them come up with with a single candidate and then to throw a lot of money behind that. So you've got the that classical formula is 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 still is still there the classical objective of retaining control of Nicaragua is, is, still, is still there. Um, what, it, what has seeded, however, and it's one of the few points probably Democrats and Republicans in the U.S. agree, is that, is that, uh, is that Ortega cannot, can, cannot be openly supported. So there's secret conversations between Washington and Ortega. Okay, if I go, what do I get? And um, what I worry about is the issue of impunity. It's the issue of we 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 fought since the 1970s for justice and social transformation. And um, if if Ortega left tomorrow, and a conservative opposition to, took uh, took over the day after. Okay, we'll go. We'll go celebrate for a day, but the day after that, I'm still going to be asking for justice and social transformation. Sure, through another way, another means of struggle. Nobody's really seriously talking about armed uprisings or or shooting it out uh, because we just it's just uh, when it's outgunned. But in order to try to have a form of 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 civic politics and to build back build back a progressive uh, coalition uh, organizations which are also justice and transformation minded and you know who that takes us back to it takes us back to sandino uh, because right. that's uh, that was his dream so many of us are not understood and in the u.s when we continue to call ourselves uh, Sandinistas, but it's not because we're Orteguistas, followers of Ortega, it's because we're followers of, of Sandino, and Ortega betrayed Sandino and betrayed the, the, the ideals of what, of, what he was, of what he was fighting for. Yeah, just, um, this, is, uh, this is what, what makes the thing confusing. 
the, the problem, and you have to admit it, in, in the broad spectrum, I mean, there's a mistake that's often made in the U.S. left in order to try to look at this in geopolitical terms as though the world and Nicaragua was part of some giant chess game. And if, if, if you move here, the U.S. then moves in. So we got to be against that and we got to be against the other. But, it, but that doesn't work in place in, in Nicaragua or in places like in Syria. Your basis of analysis has to be the social reality on the ground. And that is the swell of opposition against Ortega and the crimes committed by Ortega. But for God's sake, you've got people that saying he didn't do anything. No, no, he didn't do that. Oh, that was just a little incident far and there. He still continues to be the guy of 1979. Well, those are, those are people that are, that are rapidly disappearing and are becoming part of but if we are to engage a new generation of Nicaraguans around progressive politics, and you don't even have to call it Sandinista, uh, we're going to have to, we have to first get rid of Ortega, and second, we have to be ready to, um, I wouldn't say form part of a new government. Uh, the government is, 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 is part of the problem, but yes, a groundswell of social movements, community organizations, organized civil society, youth, especially youth, that's, um, that's going to work uh, day and night, um, and will question the automatic way in which uh, some conservative elements and confused say, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, Pompeo, Trump, Bolton, and company are not my friends. Okay, they've got their own circumstances. Right, mm -hmm. well, be careful, especially, you forgot Elliot Abrams. He's part of the mix too. Hey, uh, Alejandro, I, I got, we're running over time, but uh, I, I'd like to get you back on because there's still a lot uh, I'd like to talk to you about uh, and do, the, I'll just consider this part one of our, if that's okay with you. Uh, I know one thing, I'm going to make a lot of the people that uh, wanted me to have you on very happy today uh, because you certainly um, made a very cogent uh, argument uh, for the, uh, the change of government down there. If you could find somebody uh, that still supports uh, Danielle that was uh, part of the old group, would you let me know so I can give somebody a, a chance to counter what you just said? Because, you know, it's hard to find someone down there uh, that was part of that, uh, uh, the movement from 79 to 90 to, uh, to give me that. And I'm looking for someone just to hear them out. Uh, but you this was really an enlightening uh, uh, conversation. Uh, you know, I... Uh, you know, when I was there, uh, the last time I was very uncomfortable going from Managua to uh, down to Rivas or to San Juan del Sur and being pulled over in a taxi or just for nothing. They just like wave you over. Uh, that, that kind of uh, lack of, uh, of freedom of movement uh, may be very uh, uncomfortable, that they just pull you over and, and for no reason at all and just check through all of your stuff and then let you go. Uh, it, 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 it made me very uncomfortable uh, to see that. And, um, and I know they're part of the uh, war on drugs uh, operation out of, and, and I think that's a horrible uh, reality. But we, I have a lot more to talk to you about, but 
um, if, if we can get you back on in, in the very near future. I'm just going to say this is a conversation with Alejandro Bendania, part one. Is that all right? Sure, sure. Happy, happy, happy to talk. Um, I'll try to look for somebody to defend the indefensible. Um, maybe they, maybe they've modernized some of their arguments, but uh, but uh, All right. usually they haven't. All right. Thank you very much, Alejandro. I'm sorry for uh, some of the disruptions here, but they'll all be cleared up in uh, editing. Uh, Dr. Alejandro Bendania, uh, good. Um, Good luck and uh, hope uh, all is well. And uh, I, I don't know what to say. Happy 41st anniversary uh, of the revolution. I don't know what you say, but uh, I know you're not going to be at the rally tomorrow. And neither will a lot of there, there, there will be no rally because they can't get enough people, although they tried to do that. And all they do would be to spread COVID as they've been doing to that. That's another deal. Oh, that's, we can talk about that on another. Yeah, listen, I left a lot of uh, stones unturned here. All right. There's a lot, lot of things I wanted to talk to you about. But, uh, man, this was really great. And look, I look forward to coming down to Managua in the near future and making another uh, uh, plate uh, or a dinner of um, rigatoni and gorgonzola sauce with artichokes. Okay. We'll see great, you great. when they come. Okay, right. take care. Alejandro Bendaño, we'll, right we'll be right back after this uh, short break uh, for some closing remarks. Thank you, Alejandro. Bye-bye. <laughs> Mercedes Sosa uh, performing in Managua in 1984 at the Concert for Peace. Um, and uh, by the way, I'm Randy Credico, Randy Credico live on the fly. And I want to thank Alejandro Bandana um, for that wonderful uh, interview. He gave us a lot of his time and uh, we have more to talk about. Um, if you'd like to support this program, uh, you can. Um, because we do need support. We, we, we have some expenses. Nobody makes a salary here, but there are studio expenses, editing expenses. And, you know, I got a website. And I, got, I mean, there's a lot of little components here. Uh, and uh, if you'd 
like to see us continue with this uh, kind of programming, our Assange series, uh, please go to that website, Assange Countdown to Freedom. Uh, dot com and, and go to support and see it on the menu. Uh, you know, I don't like to shake people down. I'm an activist, I'm not much of a capitalist. All right. Um, once again, I want to thank everybody involved in this production. I want to thank uh, Kelly Lane. I want to thank uh, my uh, my friends Emily and Sarah Kunser and Margaret Ratner Kunser, all who play a role in this. And I want to thank you for supporting this program. Uh, I'm Randy Credico. We're going to go out. You know, in 2013, I ran for mayor. I ran for governor. I ran for senator. It's all, you know, you know performance art. But in 2013, I ran against de Blasio and six other Democrats. And they, uh, they, uh, the right wing would pigeonhole uh, Bill de Blasio as a Sandinista because he had been down there in 86. In fact, he saw one of my performances down there in front of the U.S. Embassy, Bates Motel. Uh, and uh, I said, wait a second, I'm the guy they should, I'm the real Sandinista. So what I did is I, I, I took their, their um, Sandinista Hemo national anthem or Hemo de Sandinista. And uh, I did my impression of, of Reagan and I made this ad. So this ran in 2013 and uh, it shows you how much time I spent there back in the 80s. All right, that's uh, all for today, folks. Thank you very much. And um, here is that, uh, that ad from 2013. Signing off, Randy Credico. My fellow Americans, as I often warned back in the 80s, the Sandinistas would one day try to spread their revolution to America. And 20 years later, it seems that I was right, as one of their biggest supporters is running for mayor of New York City. That candidate, a Democrat, naturally, is Randy Credico, now running as an independent. Credico spent a lot of time down in Nicaragua, often making fun of me and my policies at protests in front of the U.S. Embassy in Managua. In fact, he organized a group called Humorist Against War and traveled around Nicaragua with Jane Fonda's kid Vanessa and Sandinista officials. He did fundraisers with Ambassador Nora Astorga, the hardcore revolutionary, and he mimicked me in private functions for his socialist buddy, Daniel Ortega. Credico, an Occupy vet, wants to tax Wall Street and give it to the poor. I'm telling you, he's well armed with lots of dangerous ideas. So, if you see him floating around your neighborhood, please notify your local authorities. May God bless. Los hijos de San Diego, y se venden.